this looks this looks good. Everything seems to be. Yeah, can you say some say some words? Great. It's the 29th of April, t- the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Dan O'Malley here at the National Library of Australia. I'm sorry. Are we still just testing. What's going on? <laughs> what is going on here? Talking about stuff. Talking about things. Talking about you. Talking about me. It's not a our country. We are celebrating. It is Canberra. Conversations in the capital. Hello, my name is Henry. Welcome to Canberra Conversations in the Capital. Today, outside the National Library, I'm joined by author Daniel O'Malley. The creator of the Checky book series, Daniel rose to prominence as a novelist upon publishing the first of his celebrated works, The Rook. It's been a non-stop journey since then, with a sequel to the novel published and an American TV adaptation produced as well. Dan continues his superb writing, working away at the third installment of the story inside the largest reference library of Australia. Dan, how are you today? I'm very well. Thanks so much, Henry. It is... It's so nice. It is so nice to be here right now. The, it's the, a the gorgeous nature's day. good. The it's, weather's good. I mean, we're sitting on black marble benches in the sun, and this is only going to end really badly. <laughs> you can feel them heating up under you already. That's it, God, right? Yeah. It's here now every day where you continue writing. The atmosphere inside the building is, is truly something else, and I'm sure you've got some fun memories of this place. Absolutely. Um, I really didn't spend much time here until I started writing fiction. I think I'd visited, you know, once or twice on sort of the the high school trip or, or whatever. Actually, no, I remember coming here from Questacon, where I had my high school job, meeting a friend, and he was like, you, you know what you need to check out? They have computers here with the internet. Are you familiar <laughs> with it? And I was like, oh, I've heard. I've heard. And uh, so, yeah, this was actually, I think, the site where I, I did my first internet surfing, now that I think about it, for free. My goodness, yeah. look at that. And ever since that day, it's just been... The National Library said to you, you will, you will now write books. It was more and the case of, um, I, I finished with my, my public service job. I thought I'd take a break from, from that and see if I could do the, the full-time writing thing. Mm-hmm. And I can't write at home. So I was like, I need a, I need a place that's <laughs> quiet, uh, preferably free internet, vaguely inspiring, but also mainly away from the house, the dog, sure. Sure. the carpet that always needs vacuuming and it's always much more easy to vacuum than to sit down and write fiction that's fair enough and you're not requested at all to vacuum inside the national library almost never yeah almost never almost never at one time though well you you went to university in michigan yes and you earned an honor a, a master's sorry from ohio state university what made you end up wanting to come back to canberra to do all of this I had studied history at Michigan State University. Both my parents had gone there. And at the time, I thought I wanted to be a teacher. And it had the number one education department in the country. So I thought, do we I, need to? I can't even see it. Oh, OK. Oh, there it is. Oh, there's yeah. OK. Right. Now we'll keep that in. This, this, it, 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 it adds authenticity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the rooms were outside. <laughs> so I thought I wanted to be a history teacher. And so I studied history, studied, teach, studied teacher's education. And then uh, I really fell in love with medieval history. So I went to the Ohio State University, Mm -hmm. the Ohio State University as it's formerly called, and got my master's there, but realized that much as I loved it, I was not ready for it to be my full-time gig, at least not now. And I also realized that a master's degree in medieval history was not the least useful degree I could possibly have studied, <laughs> but but pretty useless in terms of everything else. Sure. So I'm and I missed Australia and I missed my family. So I moved back to Canberra, knowing that at the very least there would be a roof over my head, thanks mm. to my long-suffering parents, <laughs> and 
yeah, so so Camper Beckett, I missed my friends, and I thought, you know, I don't actually know how to do a great deal. Let's let's sit and take stock for a while. My first job was in a coffee shop in the coffee club in the Canberra Center. Hey, exactly, coffee master's degree, and I'm I'm, I'm dish pigging it and washing the dishes, <laughs> and then you know, almost inevitably, I segued into the public service. Well, there you go. And so you stayed in Canberra for all this time ever since then, but then in 2012, you published The Rook, and that novel, it just blew up. It got positive reviews from Publishers Weekly, Time, Library Journal, several of your contemporaries as well. It even won the Aurealis Award for Best Science Fiction Novel of that year. Was it that year, 2012? I think it was that year. Yeah. And for those of you that have listening that haven't read the book before, The Rook, it follows protagonist uh, Miffany Thomas, introduces a secret government organization uh, which is tasked with protecting the United Kingdom from the supernatural. And I'm reading this novel again after... Almost a decade. Did you buy a fresh copy to do so? I did. Bless you. I did, yes. And it still remains one of the most engrossing stories that I've ever picked up. What inspired this world? What inspired the story? Gross unprofessionalism on my part, I'm afraid (laughs) to say. Uh, I, I am easily distracted. Okay. And during lectures in university or meetings in graduate school, I would kind of space out sometimes. And uh, there was always a show I liked, Quantum Leap, and I don't know if you remember it, it was in the, you probably don't, because you probably didn't exist then, Great. but in the, in the early <laughs> 90s, pre-Henry, uh, this was a show about a guy who would be beamed into somebody else's body. He would find himself abruptly in a, in a strange situation and have to figure out what was going on uh, and, and who, he re- who he was supposed to be. And I always liked that idea, and I sort of wondered how difficult would it be to, uh, to take up my life if someone were suddenly beamed into my body how difficult would that be and i came to the conclusion that it probably wouldn't be very difficult at all uh, <laughs> but that it would be it was the starting point the idea sure, of waking sure. up and finding that you suddenly have to be somebody else and figure out what's going on and i've always loved amnesia stories there's a lot of them out there there's um the long kiss goodnight the born identity had come out at that point mm-hmm. but there's always mm-hmm. been a, a bunch of them uh and one of my favorite books as a child was uh, by an australian author victor kelleher it's called master of the grove and it was the first amnesia book i, I mm. ever encountered and that was really the start of it so the rook opens with this woman waking up in the park she's lost her memories she's surrounded by dead bodies and in her pocket she finds a letter saying dear you the body you are wearing is mine mm. i knew this would happen I've made preparations, go here, do this. So really, she is equipped from the beginning to sort of know what's going on, but she has to fake being herself. And I thought that was kind of an interesting take on it, especially because so much in grad school and in other things, I I often felt like I was faking it. And that gets looked at, and it gets furthered, and then we dive into this whole... Well, well, plus science. monsters, plus plus, plus, plus supernatural, yes. plus government, plus the civil service, that Absolutely. kind of thing. Absolutely. Every, everything that I find mildly entertaining, I Absolutely. try to throw just, in there. Just all, it was all in one hit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of the accolades, a TV series adaptation was ordered in 2017 for The Rook. And the miniseries, it came out in 2019. It had a cast including Jolly Richardson, Olivia Munn. This was a big deal. Absolutely. It was tremendously exciting. I was always very hands-off about it. I I am the world's worst person when it comes to being edited. I always get argumentative. And so (laughs) this, in a very uncharacteristically mature move by me, when they said, we want to do this, I said, great, go ahead, do it, go nuts, do do exactly as you please. Uh, And I was really not very heavily involved for the most part. Sometimes the the writers, who are glorious people, would write and ask questions Hmm. about the bigger universe. But for the most part... I, I wasn't super involved in that part. 
on purpose, and I wanted them to feel like they could do whatever they wanted. That's fair enough. Uh, but come the end of it, you were at the premiere. I was at the premiere, and in fact, I got to do a cameo beforehand. That was hey. really that was really the primary thing I was always most concerned with. They you know they'd sort of write and say, "We just wanted to give you a heads up. We've we've made this change to the character," and I was like, "That's great. Do whatever you please. I want that cameo." <laughs> when, when is my Stanley cameo? Occurring? Exactly. So, uh, and they eventually said, "Hey, would you, you know you if you could come over to London?" And I was like, "I can absolutely come over to London. <laughs> uh, work be damned." Day job be damned, uh, plans be damned. Then we can we can slot you in into a thing, and so I appear in this glorious party scene in Goldsmiths Hall, full of extremely beautiful people wearing extremely beautiful clothes, and then me, sort of looking like I've been photoshopped in. Uh, but it was it was really splendid and and a fascinating experience. Uh, you know, when you see characters walking towards you down the hallway exactly as you imagined them it's mm. it's very eerie that the hair on the back of my neck went up or even as much as a thing such a simple thing i guess is like seeing a character's name written on a piece of paper on a wall very striking it was great experience really fascinating and the premiere was a great time too over in la did you did you enjoy how everything was adapted in the end yes i did i did it was uh it was different in many ways and i think for a lot of people that was very jarring mm. i was i was always like i said very keen for them to if they had a good idea if they had an interesting idea if they had uh, a way they wanted to explore something or if they had good opportunities then i wanted them to go for it so it's different from the book which in many ways for me worked out great I was so entertained and enthralled watching mm. it I actually didn't know what was going to happen next it was like it had been done especially for me oh that's so lovely <laughs> yeah I'm a delightful person <laughs> plots in your own writing they always feel so well thought out and your wit it really shines through in the text itself tell me more about your particular writing style thank you so much for for, for your kind words no, that's course. really encouraging um it it's sort of fly by the seat of my pants in a lot of ways <laughs> and almost inevitably as soon as i've written something i i think it's terrible i'm like well that's horrible i'm gonna have to come back and change that but i, I try and press on and then I look back a few weeks later, I'm like, wait a minute, this is okay. Oh, this is great. <laughs> this doesn't suck. I never would have even <laughs> thought of that. I mean, apparently I did. But I think it's, for me, the uh, the familiarity breeds contempt. So knowing where I was or what I was thinking when I wrote it makes it seem less real than when it's presented to me a little differently. Sure. Uh, I'm not a huge plotter. Mm -hmm. I know generally, I guess, how I how it's going to end or what kind of ending I want. And I'll have a few ideas about things that I want to happen in it. And if I research something and I'll find something, think, okay, well, that's great. I need to throw that in there. Sure. But it's not terribly structured. A couple of times I've tried writing out a synopsis and then I find myself straying from it almost immediately. Mm. So not the, the most uh, meticulous in that way. And I guess the key is really just to, to read it over again and again and write it over again and again. And when you're writing it, especially as I am now full time, it's always sort of stewing in the back of your head. Right. So new ideas will present themselves, usually at the least convenient moment, <laughs> uh, at the cinema or in the shower, almost inevitably at a time when you can't write it down. Absolutely. And then it's a case of walking around with your fingers crossed or uh, so that you don't forget or, or trying to find a phone if you've lost yours, which will always happen, or, or writing it down legibly, that's always key as mm, well. Yeah. I used to, you know, you get the ideas like late at night, right by the bed, and I was always told, you know, you should have a notepad by the bed, and so you'd sort of wake up and write it down, but my handwriting is terrible, and also I was really <laughs> incoherent. So the next day you'd be looking at it, you'd be like, okay, 
Okay, barnacle face. <laughs> what does that even mean? So now I have the laptop by the bed, and you sort of open it up, and the light beams into your face, and you, you reel back, and then you try and write down as much thoroughness as possible, and then close the laptop, and then you can't go back to sleep. So it's it's a vicious cycle in a lot of ways. One day you're just like, this just says buy milk. Like, exactly. This <laughs> I'm like, maybe this is a good idea. Character buys milk. Genius. <laughs> well, following the success of The Rook, mm-hmm. The people wanted more, and you released its sequel, Stiletto, in 2016. Was much of the writing process different the second time around? Absolutely. First off, I hadn't even thought that there would be a sequel to The Rook at first. When uh, when my agent, uh, who's the glorious Molly Glick, uh, was was shopping it around, I, I had to take calls with publishers, and often they'd say, so is there going to be a sequel? And I was like, no, I have no ideas for a sequel. <laughs> and you could sort of hear my agent clenching her, her fists in the background. I mean, she's very discreet. But I really didn't have an idea for a sequel. But then I realized I'd left the Rook with a, a radical change in situation in the, within story, in the mm. universe. And I wanted to write about what happened next. Mm. So I started out like I did the Rook with, with vague ideas about where it would go, but no, no clear idea. Sure. And also, I think it's common with a second book, you sort of think, well, wait, how did I do the first one? <laughs> I mean, the first one I started the last day of graduate school when I didn't have any papers to grade and I was right, sort of bored. Right. Uh, book two was different. I, I had a day job at that point. I had, um, you know, and, and the Rook had been had been well received. And I was sort of like, wait, what exactly was it that worked? And how did I do that? And <laughs> can I even write anymore? Has, has it left me? Uh, so it was harder. It was much harder. And also uh, longer, as, as you as you remarked mm. earlier. Uh, it's, it's a bigger book. And... Um, I think uh, I got much more into the universe. I thought about more ideas that I wanted to explore and more questions that I felt needed answered and so on. That's fair enough. I'm sure leading up to and even during your writing now, uh, your style of writing has been influenced by a variety of different people. Absolutely. Uh, who are some of these people that have really I guess, steered your steered your writing in the uh, way that it's gone? Well, I guess the first and most important, of course, are, is my parents uh, who read to me a lot as a child. You know, if I fell down, it was not, here's a cookie, it was, here's a book, you know, <laughs> and they really indoctrinated me. You know, going to the library was a big deal. I was accompanied by cake, which is, you know, oh, you the go. best way to get my loyalty. Absolutely. So I read, I was read to a lot when I was little, and then I read a lot, and I continue to read a lot. I, I read while I'm walking around the place, um, when I'm doing my lunchtime get less fat walk, and so on. <laughs> uh, and I read everything. I'm, I'm not terribly discerning, so I'll usually have several books on the go, but I do have my favorites, of course. I mean, when I was younger, J.P. Martin's books, uh, Uncle, Uncle is an elephant mm. who, uh, has a bachelor's degree and owns a castle and has enemies that he gets into fights with and has a large retinue of weird animal, uh, you know, servants and, and hangers on. Of course. Very surreal books, but really engaging. And they, they were really interesting. And then as I got older, Terry Pratchett, who was, of mm. course, the master, you know, hilarious and, uh, good stories and advent, good adventure stories and great characters. And I just worshiped at his shrine. Uh, then later, China Mieville's books, he writes, uh, the weird, or he, he was writing the weird fantasy, uh, Perdido Street Station and the Scar, which were very important because he threw in so many ideas. His world building was amazing. He would make a, an offhand mention to something that could have been a book by itself. And that really inspired me. And also a lot of comic books. I love, I love comic books. And if you want to read good dialogue, then a comic book necessarily will, will give you, give you that sort of thing. Absolutely. I, I've, 
it's great that you said Terry Pratchett because uh. I could like I could see Terry Pratchett influences when I was when I was reading the first one. That's so encouraging and, and nice. I, I love his stuff. And, and in fact, so you and I went to the same high school, and I was in a, a play. We did Mort, Terry Pratchett's Mort, yes. and I played Mort with an American accent. No, it's no attempt at doing an Australian <laughs> accent, let alone an English one. But uh, yeah, big big influence. And I've I've just started rereading his works. Well, re 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 reading. I think I've read each of his books at least three or four times. If you could, if 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 TP was just here right now and you could talk to him for thirty seconds, what would you say? I probably just thank you, I suppose, and he 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 is a man who deservedly has many followers. You know, if there's if there's ever a person whose works really deserved a cult, it's it's Terry Pratchett. Uh, I'd probably just want to abase myself in front of him. Uh, I wouldn't know what to ask him. I met him a couple of times when he came to sign books in Canberra, and he was pleasant and concealed his horror of you know these the, all these sweaty, greasy teenagers just looking at him with adoring eyes. Uh, and you were like. One day, I'm one day, gonna, I too, <laughs> I too might grow a beard and also have you know sweaty, greasy teenagers looking at me with adoring eyes. He was like, okay, yeah, All right, yeah. He, yeah, he, he, me, he patted me and concealed was, concealed his horror. Was that David? David? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, here's a premise. You're allowed to choose some particular writing tropes or stereotypes and delete them from the plane of existence forever. Which ones are getting cut? You know, I really should have thought about this more carefully because you, you did mention this was going to come up and nothing is coming to mind. I mean, the problem is that I love a good cliché. Oh, yeah. I love a good I love a good trope, especially if it's twisted even even a little bit. So I don't know that I would remove anything what about the uh it was all a dream trope yeah you're on that yeah i mean i have a character who controls people's dreams so i'm right, okay. guilty of it myself so i generally try and put a little twist on it at least mm. uh let me assure everybody that none of my books end with she woke up and it was all a dream <laughs> but there are some good dream ideas in there yeah yeah that's fair enough well yeah, well it better I'm be sure. that's the way <laughs> yeah you have no choice in the matter <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure one day you'll come to, you'll come to hate something. Yeah, and absolutely. We can, and we can do this all over absolutely. again. We can come back to this question. It's, it's not so much that I hate, you know, the uh, the repetition. I, I hate individual things based sure. on their own merits or lack thereof. That's fair. Yeah. And, well, you're looking at characters going forward. Mm-hmm. And I think the hype for Untitled Book 3 is growing. I certainly hope so. Are there, are there any little spoilers you can throw out about this series' third chapter? Uh, book three is fairly large. Okay. Uh, larger than I think I expected. It, uh, it deals with two different unconnected lots of characters, so it alternates back and forth between them, which meant that in many ways I think I was, I was kind of right. Each one needed to make, I needed to make sure each one had its own, uh, satisfying story. So in right. many ways I think I wrote two books, which might go some way towards explaining why it's taking so long. So what it, would it, could it be two books, ultimately, or is it just going to be... It, I think it's just going to be one large one that you could use to kill a person. <laughs> oh, one of those sizes. Yeah, a large, a large tome. My goodness. Mm. Okay. And we, I've already been cutting stuff, and it's still very large. Have you decided on a name for it? I have, but... but you cannot... I'm, I, I you could, cannot but I won't. Uh, it's not the finally finalized, right. totally final name. Fair enough. Yeah. If I just, like, guessed it, though, would you say yes? No. If I just, like... No. 
Like I, I wouldn't said like lumberyard. No. No, it's I would, not lumberyard. I, or no, you wouldn't. Not only <laughs> is it not lumberyard, but I wouldn't confirm if it were. <laughs> Fair enough. We just have to wait. Yeah. Is there uh, any idea as to when? When? Well, with something this large, uh, editing takes quite a while. Uh, there'll be polishing, there'll be refinements, and there's also a whole apparatus of, of scheduling and release stuff that I don't have anything to do with. So hopefully soon, hopefully sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Hopefully you'll live to see it. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, th- that's not a threat. That's not a threat. I guessed Lumbia correctly, didn't I? It's all, you're right. you're out of the it's world, all coming Yeah. <laughs> all right. Slight uh, camera-centric shift. Oh, great. Uh Recommend to me a hidden gem of a location in the city and sell to me why I should go visit it. Ah, well, I have, I grew up in Canberra, accent notwithstanding. <laughs> you know, my parents are American, but I was Garen primary boy, uh, Canberra grammar boy, and, and I've been in Canberra for most of my life. So there's a lot of gorgeous things that people don't really see because it's off the beaten path. Uh, as part of this whole writing thing, it is important for me to like get up and, and go for walks. Of course. Otherwise, you know, I'll grow to the size of several houses. And I've found a lot of neat little things just along the lakeside. There's there's hidden rope swings. There's strange little monuments tucked away that you don't realize are there. Oh. So I'd say go along Lake Burley Griffin, but follow the follow the water rather than the path, and you'll find some very unexpected, cool little things. How good! Yeah. We'll go 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 swing on a tire or something. Absolutely. But we're on a nice time. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and what? does the future hold well, for Daniel O'Malley? If all goes to plan, where would you see yourself in five years' time? I'm, I'm enjoying the full-time writing thing very much right now. Uh, it is a little isolating. Having worked in an office for so many years, I'm used to being able to go bother people if I'm bored or have unexpected conversations. In the library, they don't really like it when you go up to them, uh, other writers, <laughs> other readers, other scholars. So that's a bit challenging. But at the moment, for now, I'm really enjoying being a full-time writer. Uh, we'll see how it goes, though. It relies on a lot of different things, including my ability to, to shut up on a near constant <laughs> basis. Uh, I have a lot more ideas for books, though. I'm already working uh, away a little bit on book four. Oh. Um, not necessarily in the same series, but I have a lot of different concepts I want to explore. We'll just see what happens. Well, there you go. Yeah. I can also see you just, just going to the cafe and trying to, like, start conversations with everyone in there. Absolutely. To... I mean, the, the people here in the, in the restaurants and the cafe know me by sight, and, and they, they know to be afraid. <laughs> like, oh, no, They're like, back. oh, he wants a coffee back and a conversation oh. and, and to bounce questions and ideas off them about tiaras and drinking and, uh, and stabbings and so on. But, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. At the moment, I'm very happy coming into the National Library and, and writing. Uh, not every day. Sometimes I have other places I go to, but this is this is one of my favorites. It works really well, and I always like to pretend that it's a palace that belongs to me, <laughs> that I have graciously allowed other people to come into, and uh, and I don't get to talk to them. I mean, I feel like for many aspirational writers, you are, in a way, living the dream with that full-time go-to-a-place-and-write-the-thing. Absolutely. I, I know how lucky I am in this score. Uh and that's the thing with, with writing is so much of it is about being lucky. And so far, I've been, I've been very fortunate in a lot of ways. It also relies on people having excellent taste and, <laughs> and liking what I produce, which is, is no guarantee. No, but uh, fingers crossed. Fingers and limbs and digits and toes crossed All for now. All the fingers and limbs and digits and toes crossed for you, Dan. And finally, my friend, the, the floor is yours. Is there anything you'd particularly like to say to the people listening? Uh, I hope you uh, try the first three chapters of my book. They're available online, <laughs> and if you write, read those for free and decide you don't want any more, then you don't have to, but if you would like to, then, then the book exists. Uh, and if you get the chance, come to Canberra, come sit on the terrace of the National Library, 
There's uh, very good eating a few steps away from us, and there's gorgeous views, and it's uh, very close to Lake Burley Griffin, where you can walk along and find some very unexpected, neat little things. Go inside and find uh, Dan. And, and don't do that. No, don't do and that. And force a conversation onto him. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get these pages written. Five pages a day. Oh my goodness, it's all happening. It doesn't always happen. <laughs> Daniel O'Malley, it is, it is always an absolute pleasure chatting. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Well... I mean, this is my place. You came here. <laughs> Thank you for letting me in. <laughs> That'll be $5. <laughs> Folks, my name is Henry, and from the National Library in Canberra, this has been Conversations in the Capital. Stay safe, be kind, and we'll see you all soon.